Welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy up here, Vlad. We have made it to episode 48. We are in the middle of our cybersecurity theme, and we are very happy to have our special guest, Ralph Chama, on. Now, Ralph, Ralph is the first in a couple of ways, right? So, so Ralph is actively working on artificial intelligence. He's actively in the process of a startup, and we've had a couple of startup folks uh, in here before. But we have yet to have someone doing a startup over in Hong Kong or someone agree to come on at six o'clock in the morning their time in order to uh, in order to have a conversation with us. So Ralph, before you fall asleep, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ralph. Really appreciate your time. As uh, you know, Dave teased out some very interesting discussion topics that we'll have for you today. I wanted to start off by getting maybe an introduction of how you got into cybersecurity. And as Dave mentioned, you know, we've known each other in uh, primarily in college where we did a bachelor's in electrical engineering, but our paths split where you decided to go and uh, pursue cybersecurity as a career. So I wanted to kind of learn about what that uh, path was like. Definitely. And, and that's the, the interesting part where after a couple of years, uh, one way or another, our, our paths cross and next thing you know, you had a different background. So how um, I ended up in the world of cybersecurity. So as you mentioned, we were both doing electrical engineering and uh, mm -hmm. I, I had finished halfway through, um, through our um, bachelor's and I was like, this, this design, circuit design, everything is, is, not, is not for me. There are plenty of people out there that are way better, such as Vlad. I was like, hey, this is not going to be uh, something for me. And uh, doing, doing the switch at that point uh, was a bit of, am I going to risk and, and lose everything I, I learned? So we went, I went through uh, the engineering uh, school. And then um, I was fortunate enough to, to end up in the world of consulting. So I had an internship with, uh, with Deloitte. And obviously, my, in my head at that point was, how does consulting fit with engineering? So it was really uh, new to me, the world of engineering. And uh, as, as I, had, uh, I was doing my internship, um, obviously there's the opportunities uh, that came along and um, I had received an offer to join their cybersecurity team. Um, and at that point, in terms of knowledge, in terms of knowing what cyber was, I was completely off. Uh, probably I barely knew how to write the uh, spell cybersecurity. But for me, it was a question, okay, cybersecurity is, is, a, is a very hot topic and it's definitely something that's uh, gonna just keep on growing. And that's where really I, I did the shift. And uh, being in the world of consulting um, has its pros and cons, but it's definitely somewhere that you could learn a lot. And the fact that you get exposed to different clients, uh, different industries, different sectors, is a lot of um, visibility into how cyber fits into all this. And in terms of the technical knowledge, uh, it's, it's usually depending on your career path, but there's a lot of technical and hands-on experience. So there's a lot that you mm -hmm. learn um, while you're on, on projects, while you're uh, delivering the um, uh, helping clients with, from a cyber mm -hmm. perspective. The theory part, as much as it is, it's going to remain theory. But uh, key was really um, the the on on project uh, basis. So uh, as I progressed in my career with with Deloitte, um, it was also a question of of doing a move uh, and expanding my my expertise. And 
left Montreal, uh, joined the uh, Hong Kong practice with Deloitte and um, came to Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is, is known as a innovation hub, uh, especially around mm-hmm. the world of, of uh, fintech. And it, it's, it's one of the, the hubs for APAC as well. So I took this opportunity to, to help uh, Deloitte grow their cyber analytics practice. And uh, even got to a point at that stage, it's where, okay, there's still more into the world of cyber to, to take advantage of and be innovative. And that's where uh, I decided to, to venture off and start um, a company that basically we do software development um, and consulting. And that's where the AI and all the recent uh, innovation and tech fits in. So that's uh, in a nutshell how I ended up in uh, in Hong Kong in the world of consulting cyber. No, there's a there's a ton to unpack there, Ralph. But I want to you know start from the beginning when uh, you know you had to make the switch from engineering into cybersecurity. I wanted to get maybe a little more details on what that learning curve was like because I think that mm-hmm. a lot of engineers are in a similar position or you know someone who's trying maybe to change their career later in life is looking into cybersecurity as one of the fields of interest. So, you know, last week we had a conversation about different certifications that you can get, research that you could do on, again, like you can go on YouTube, probably find, you know, trainings and, you know, classes even. What are your thoughts around, you know, your specific transition there and like how you would approach it, you know, now having a lot more years in cybersecurity? Um, I'll, I'll answer that in, in two aspects. One, um, whoever studies in engineering, uh, it, it's something that you tend to develop is uh, the critical thinking and how to analyze things. So definitely that is, um, is something to, to leverage in the world of consulting and specifically in cyber because it's a question of how you have to think um, outside the box and be creative. So that's the aspect of problem solving that you tend to develop uh, in, in general uh, further in the world of engineering. Now, depending on which um, which uh, specialty you go in engineering, you, you'll tend to focus more. But uh, in our case, when you, you do electrical or, or software or computer engineering, um, you get exposed to a lot of the coding classes um, and learn how to code. So that is definitely um, a step into the world of, of cyber. And don't get me wrong, uh, you don't need to be the expert uh, coder and know all the languages to get into cyber. Um, as much as it is uh, cyber, people think oh, these are hackers. Like, no, they, they are the hackers, but we're not all uh, hackers and we're not all uh, coders. So it's not necessarily um, knowing in um, uh, coding or anything like this. On the opposite, if you understand the concept of coding, that already gives you a step ahead. Uh, meaning, if you just understand, if you recode, you, you'll figure it out. That's already a big step into getting into the world of, of cyber. The, the other angle I'm going to be taking is, uh, so during uh, when, when I was in Montreal, um, I used to be involved a lot with Concordia. Uh, after I graduated in uh, case competition in coaching and, and mentorship. And um, I used to uh, coach teams, whether it's from the engineering and uh, commerce uh, competition or even from the GMSB, so the Concordia Business School. And within uh, the business school, there is a program called um, MIS, Management Information System. 
and mm-hmm. the background they had were more um, supply chain type of uh, background. So I started coaching and, and helping them and making them realize that how do they fit that more IT aspect and business into the world of consulting. And um, a couple of years later, I noticed people that I had been coaching ended up in the world of cyber. And it's someone that didn't have any experience in engineering, Mm -hmm. uh, had more of a business type of profile. So it's a question of how do you leverage um, the the knowledge and thinking uh, way into, into cyber? Because fundamentally, all the rest, you could learn it easily. Like you said, YouTube, there's crash courses, there's a lot of things, especially if you get into the world of uh, consulting, uh, you'll get exposed mm. to projects, and that's where it accelerates your growth. Gotcha. Was there any formal? I, I'm just curious. You know, in in a traditional consulting way, was there a formal training period, or they just you know put you in projects where you get to be again m- mentored by somebody else uh, at that point? Um, I, I'm going to answer that by saying it depends on your career path. Um, there are uh, trainings that can uh, be given, but uh, in my case, uh, I think I was uh, one of the exceptions where I just went through uh, hands-on experience and getting exposed mm-hmm. to type of projects. Um, as, as you progress, uh, sometimes, uh, depending on your career path, they're going to actually um, uh, help you focus on one specific era within cyber and become that SME, that subject matter expert within that. So they'll they'll push you towards um, getting trained. And similarly, that's what I do for, for my team currently at, at Algaze, where um, I take the angle of, um, especially the, the, uh, the more uh, juniors, I get them into a, a thinking method of, I don't want you to be a subject matter expert at this point. We're going to have that conversation in a couple of years, depending on what career path you want to take. If that is something that is, is uh, that's what you want to do, I'll push for it because I'll still need subject matter experts. However, I rather you build a foundation of understanding how each component and each aspect of cyber tying together. And it gives it, it helps you build a better toolkit. So when you're, talking to the clients or when you're thinking you could start factoring the other areas of cyber yeah i think that that makes a lot of sense um it, it's an interesting i guess approach it's it's something i feel that we don't always like give more thought to but in in my mind you know the the management teams usually kind of put in those plans in place that we may not always see so that uh I think that's yeah. very important for sure for career progression. I'm not the type to uh, to fit in a box or uh, tell people you need to do this. It's like right. uh, you have to be creative, especially in, we're we're in the world of um, cyber, so it's all about innovation. And next thing you know, there's the mm-hmm. next big thing that uh, is going to pop up. So uh, fundamentally, it's also putting your putting your um, mindset like an attacker, like a hacker. So what's the creative things mm-hmm. that they're and if you follow a checklist and, and a specific path, uh, you're going to be missing the boat completely. And so, Ralph, as you grew your career in Montreal, you've made a call to move to Hong Kong. Could you talk to us a little bit more? And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting perspective, as like Dave mentioned. And I think, you know, taking mm-hmm. maybe the context, context of our viewers that are more often positioned in manufacturing, I think there's also very interesting opportunities, again, with companies to you know, either travel abroad for, it could be just a small startup, right? It could be a 
consulting opportunity, but it could also be relocating somewhere to work there because ultimately, similar to like cybersecurity and what you've experienced, manufacturers have a lot of different locations, different plants. So I'm curious, like how the transition uh, took place for you. Uh, so in, in my case, um, it was a question of being able to expand my personal experience and in the world of cyber. And fundamentally, it always comes to what do you want next in your career? And for me, um, I was fortunate enough to get exposed to a lot of different industries within the world uh, of uh, within Canada and exposure to, mm -hmm. to the U.S. market. And it was a question, okay, if I want to be able to bring uh, more value and better insight to my clients, um, I want to be able to get exposure of what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, and and it's funny funny thing is that uh, for me, uh, when I moved to Hong Kong, um, I've never been to Asia. So the Hong Kong opportunity came along. You Google Hong Kong, one of the top cities in the world. I was like, let's go. <laughs> It was a one-way ticket to, uh, to Hong Kong to discover Asia. And um, I, I must say uh, Asia, APAC region. Um, so when, when we say APAC uh, includes uh, New Zealand, includes um, uh, Australia as well. Um, and there's a different, different type of landscape here when it comes to innovation, when it comes to uh, cyber and how you even interact uh, with clients and, and the culture. So these are things that factor in and that's what builds your experience, both professional and on a personal aspect. And to, to your point, Vlad, in terms of uh, people in, in the world of uh, manufacturing, uh, one, one fun fact that I was actually reading not, not long ago is the global IoT um, market size um, in, in smart cities. Uh, one, it's gonna be growing to 130 billion by 2026. But the other interesting fact is that um, among, among the, uh, the regions that is going to help propel this is APAC regions. Um, and within Asia Pacific, there's an emerging market in smart cities. Uh, China, Japan, Singapore are the ones that are um, developing a lot of these um, components and uh, have a lot of manufacturing in, uh, in Asia. So it's... Yeah, it is definitely interesting from a market perspective. And um, a lot of people that might be thinking of doing a move, um, they, they really need to think outside the box and go for it mm -hmm. because there's a lot of opportunities uh, that you don't even know or hear about until you start just basic Googling and, and looking a bit of the, the landscape from a market perspective. So maybe in, in my, my advice to people that are looking into that if they just start looking on LinkedIn and jobs and all that, mm -hmm. you're going to have a, an image of it. But if you're going to start looking at a, at a move, maybe start researching from a market slash business aspect of what are the industries, what are the big players? And then that's mm -hmm. going to lead to, okay, now I, I know there's there are these big players around the uh, Asia Pacific market in the world of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Then you start digging into these companies, looking at the culture, what they do, and mm -hmm. gives you a, a foot in the door. But uh, one thing, in my opinion, uh, don't don't think too much. Just go and, and figure it out. We do tend to overthink okay. things a lot of times. I, I would definitely agree with that statement. But, um, you know, Ralph, 
I guess now that you are, and I guess very experienced in different fields of cybersecurity, of working with mm -hmm. different clients, I wanted to get your, again, outside perspective of what does that engagement look like, right? So again, mm -hmm. you can probably give it to us from like a manufacturing standpoint or even like a, a medical or hospital, uh, obviously not divulging any, you know, client's information, but when you come to a client, first of all, you know, what are some of the thoughts that they are expressing to you? And what are some of the initial steps that you would take to, I would say, I guess, understand the problem and then come to a, a resolution that is um, worth, I guess, their uh, engagement? Um, so maybe in order to tackle this, this topic, I'll, I'll give a high level of, um, to, to the audience of, there is the world of IT, information technology, mm -hmm. and then there's the world of OT, op operational technology. And mm -hmm. uh, OT is where uh, this fits into the world of industrial controls uh, and, and manufacturing. And as much as it is that the majority of the landscape over the last uh, decade was all around IT, but with the advancement in the industrial control landscape um, and the interconnection between IT and OT, that's opening mm -hmm. doors to the, the risk and the cyber issues that are coming up. And uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people hear the, the headlines between Colonial Pipeline not too long ago, and actually, I was I was mentioning mm -hmm. today uh, we jumped on the call in um, in Germany last week. Uh, oil uh, tanking, um, uh, oil and industry business, uh, complete IT disruption. Uh, it was caused by a cyber attack. Um, mm -hmm. So my my point in all this is um, the cybersecurity aspect that touches IT and OT is agnostic of industry of size and mm -hmm. wherever you are globally. And you did touch upon the, the world of the, the medical field. And that's something maybe we'll dig in a bit further because that's gonna lead to other topics in the world of, of, um, of the medical field. But how clients would reach out uh, to us in terms of, hey, Ralph, how can Owlgaze help from a cyber perspective? I'm, I'm in the world of OT. Um, fundamentally, all organizations have their IT infra and depending on what you do, there's the OT. And in, in the world of uh, in APAC, I would say, um, there's, um, there's Macau. Macau is one of the, um, um, I would say, the, the Las Vegas of Asia. And it's uh, one of the big casinos. Uh, they have plenty of casinos. So OT does fit in the world of casinos as well. And without realizing it, it's machines that are connected to your network. And one, one fun fact, uh, I think it's a couple of years ago in the U.S., one of the casinos got hacked, uh, and surprisingly, it was through their uh, aquarium. And their aquarium had a thermometer that was an IoT device connected to the network. There was a loophole of vulnerability, and someone took advantage of it. And what they gained out of all this, it's not disruption of anything. They actually uh, stole the VIPs and VVIP uh, data of their clients, which is the most critical asset wow. data for casinos. Mm -hmm. So it's it's more of, I'm not necessarily going to disrupt your environment. Let me try to steal something that's going to hurt you financially and benefit me from a business perspective. Because you and, could probably sell that data too, right? I mean, th there's right. going to be parties that would be paying mm -hmm. top dollar for that information. Yeah. And, and that's the uh, uh, interesting part of, of cyber is 
what do you do with this data? Is it a question of uh, selling it? Is it a question of using it with malicious intent and trying to harm these people? Or is it going to be used uh, to create a business? So is it a question of, I'm going to use this more IP type of uh, data uh, to, to compete against you and have an edge because I know what you're doing. So depending on mm -hmm. which angle and the intent people have towards uh, data, it all depends really what you're going to do with it. And so what would be, <laughs> let's say, a facility of that nature, right? Like, let's, let's even take the casino as an example. Um, I would assume that after that attack has happened, right, there was probably a leak. I, I don't know if it was immediately revealed to the media, right? But internally, they probably knew before it was released to the public. And so what would be, let's say, a response of when they reach out to you and tell you, like, there's been, you know, a, a breach, like, what can we do? What, uh, like, what would be the first steps or thoughts or, like, actions, you know, that you would take? Um, so that's, that's where the, the world of consulting in cybersecurity uh, comes into play. And as much as it mm -hmm. is uh, the, the world of consulting, whether it's, it's cyber or in general, they tend to be labeled, oh, these are people uh, that uh, fluff and it's all PowerPoint presentation. But uh, as much as there are, there's more than that. Um, and especially when it comes to, um, to cyber, we actually help them from a technical perspective. So yes, we are consultants, but we bring technical expertise and actually deploy technical solutions and security solutions. So uh, in cases, whether it's the um, casinos or in the medical field, and, and uh, it's not even, I'm not going to even look into, are you OT, are you IT? I'm going to first, if, if the scenario that you mentioned, they got breached, what do they do? My fu fundamental question is, do you have uh, an incident response plan? And for you to be able to build an incident response plan, meaning I got breached, I have a ransomware, what do I do? Is the foundation. And all this is basically reverse engineering of, Okay, for me to be able to build this um, mind map of taking a decision and the incident response of do I pay this ransomware or not, you have to start going layers above of, okay, what data do I have in my environment? What are the types of backups uh, I have? Given the industry I'm in, given the, the location, the geolocation uh, I operate in, do I have any regulatory compliance that I need to adhere to? So depending on your industry and depending on where you are uh, globally, sometimes uh, a, you need to disclose to the regulators that there's a breach if it exceeds, for argument's sake, 50, uh, 50 people uh, or 50 uh, end users. So depending on your industry, you need to also understand, do I need to disclose? I don't need to disclose. What do I need to disclose? So understanding that, and that's how we tie in uh, data into data uh, privacy understanding your, mm -hmm. your landscape of privacy perspective. And for you to be able to understand that, you also need to understand what data are you actually collecting. Once you understand what data you're collecting, then you could also put the different uh, controls in place to protect this data. And the, one of the, the biggest fear or um, issue, problems that uh, organizations face, and, and maybe this is more around the uh, small medium enterprises, but applicable to large organizations is I need to put protection on everything. And it's, it's, not, it's not the right way. It's understand what you currently have. And if it's data that is publicly available or if it gets leaked, it's fine because it doesn't have an impact to your operations or to your clients. 
you don't need to put all the full-fledged security controls in place. Try to focus and understand mm -hmm. what you have, then put the security controls in place. And then that ties into how do you manage identities? And identities could be, how do you manage the identities of your clients? And how do you manage the identities of your team internally? Meaning Vlad is part of the engineering team, Ralph is part of the HR team. We're technically not supposed to have the same access to the same data. So it goes mm -hmm. into how do you manage access and how do you segregate it based on the data. So that's that's how it, it ties into into the world of cyber. And the the last part um, I would say is okay. They got breach and all that. Once we help them contain it and try to find the, the loophole, it's usually a question of from a network perspective or a known vulnerability. So that's where we start mm -hmm. looking. Okay, how does your ecosystem look like? Where is uh, what's connected to what? Uh, is it a breach because it was caused from a third party that you're dealing with, or it was a breach because you have a loophole in your uh, overall network environment? So there's a lot of different angles we, we look at and we help them. And that's that's one thing when I, I decided to, uh, to build this consulting um, uh, practice is I want to be able to help clients connect all of these different areas within cyber. Because uh, the mm -hmm. biggest challenge in, in the world of consulting is um, you, you have plenty of smaller boutique firms, but they focus on a handful of areas of cyber. But the added value mm -hmm. is connecting all this and helping clients mature and build a journey towards um, evolving around cyber. So that's, that's where uh, tying all these different components within cyber is, is very important. Well, I have many more questions, but I want to give Dave maybe a chance to get one in as well. So, Thank you, Vlad. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I promised Ralph that Vlad would say that at some point during the show. Uh, but Ralph, so I, I like your comments about if someone is breached, you know, one, do we have an instant response plan? Do we, do we, find, do we follow it? Um, and then, you know, what sort of regulation, regulatory issues do we have to worry about? Looking at making sure that we don't make the immediate movement of let me drop all of this, this pile of cash down and do, you know, quote unquote everything. And I like the segregation comment. Um, let's, let's take like a little bit of a step back and hope that the first conversation that you're having with the group is not four o'clock in the morning. Ralph, we just got breached. I, you know, our, our pipeline is down or I just lost all of my VIP data or, or any one of those things, right? So let's go, let, let's hope that the first conversation isn't 4.30 in the morning about that. Uh, I guess as we generally talk, there are kind of like two groups that I imagine would come to you. One from the, we have some sort of cybersecurity, we're like cybersecurity conscious, right? We know what the word is, we've got some sort of plan. And the other is, probably we we know cybersecurity is a word we don't really haven't gone any much further th than that so kind of what what is your normal kind of starting point uh, either from the consulting side or as like a general conversation that you would have with these groups and, and i guess the reason i say that is i imagine that most of the people listening fall into the category of we are semi cybersecurity conscious to we know cybersecurity is a word, but I don't think we do very much uh, to help ourselves around it. And, and I'll actually add a third category to that because um, there are certain clients that also are 
um, they, they are aware of cybersecurity. They're doing um, as much as they can from a cyber. But so it's a question of how do they get to the next level as well? And then that, yep. I'll, I'll touch upon that in terms of automation and how the world of AI fits into, into cyber. Yes. Mm -hmm. So to, to your point, um, the certain clients might reach out to us uh, saying, okay, we have absolutely no clue where to start. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what, what to, to even focus on. So in that aspect, depending on the size, um, the, uh, their operating size and their industry, uh, it could be as simple as doing that cyber assessment slash snapshot of what mm -hmm. would you to do. And out of the, that type of engagements and uh, projects, we help them identify one, what does it, your business look like? What are the threats to your industry? And then we drill down maybe to what are the threats specific to you? And when I say threats, it's not just um, uh, someone attacking me, but understanding from a business perspective, who are your competitors? So understand that landscape as well. So once we, we identify and understand the, the current threat landscape, then we start doing follow-up uh, workshops of, okay, now what does your security slash IT landscape look like? Uh, whether mm -hmm. it comes from, uh, do you even have a strategy from a cyber perspective? Do you have uh, something called uh, GRC, governance, risk, and compliance? Do you know what are the risks mm -hmm. that are impacting? Then we start looking into identity and access management, into data protection, mm -hmm. data privacy, into capabilities of detection and monitoring. So the, the smaller ones or the less mature, I'm not going to necessarily say smaller, because some are, whether they're well-funded or have been established for a while, never look mm -hmm. into cyber. So it's a question of understand what you currently are and then build and enhance step-by-step step what is um, the basic and foundation of cyber. And if it's done properly and if it's done in a way that is scalable, that's where companies and organizations are going to be saving money. Because if you go full-fledged and focus on one area and put all the security solutions in, in place, one, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And two, you're mm -hmm. also getting all the rest of the uh, landscaping server. So it's a, it's a question of let's try to focus where your next priority should be for the next year to three years max and uh, start building on that. So we could help them from a foundation perspective. And that's where for us, it gives us insight of, okay, you know what? Maybe for this type of company, you need to focus on uh, your um, identity and access management software. So we help them uh, figure out which software to use, implement, deploy, and even manage it on their behalf sometimes. Okay. Now, the other category is, okay, certain companies have, uh, they do this assessment uh, slash strategy exercise on a recurring basis. And it's a question, okay, now we're at a point where I need to improve my detection capabilities. So mm -hmm. it could be saying, okay, we need to uh, enhance our detection capabilities. What are the softwares available out there? So that's mm -hmm. where we could also help them. Like, okay, now at least this client is asking me specifically, I need to look into this. So then we, we help them from that aspect advisory. So what's on the market? What are the possible uh, solutions out there? And help them to even sometimes do a POC, a proof of concept and decide, mm -hmm. okay, the uh, software we need to uh, deploy across your organization. So we help them into deploying that um, into their organization. 
and then there's there are the the category of uh, companies that have uh, the foundation in place have uh, the security solutions within each of the different pillars of cyber now it's a question of mm -hmm. what's the uh, what are the next trends or what are the solutions out there that are um, incorporating innovation and for for us innovation um, fundamentally is part of algae's dna it's all about uh, bringing innovation to cyber not just for being able to sell it and promote it no it's how do you use ai to accelerate uh, detection mm -hmm. of uh, certain malicious behavior or how do you use ai to predict certain aspects and it's basically mm -hmm. using the latest tech to um, improve security. Um, and um, maybe I'll touch upon the software we, we built. Um, it's an AI-based software that predicts cyber threats. And fundamentally how that is possible, it's one, we're collecting a large number of data points from security solutions, mm -hmm. and we're centralizing it and doing that advanced correlation. So- okay. Power of AI is basically uh, accelerating what a human would be doing by mapping, mapping, mapping. So it helps accelerate, and it's a continuous type of uh, cycle. So it's finding one mm -hmm. common denominator, one common denominator in one data source, one data point, and try to see can I find something else somewhere else. So that's where the power of mm -hmm. AI fits in, and um, the how that also ties into um, into the, the rest of um, innovation, what I try to push for clients is automate. Use automation mm -hmm. to accelerate and make day-to-day -day tasks more efficient. So how do you use automation into your day-to-day? -day? Automating processes, automating getting um, uh, people onboarded, for example. Because biggest challenge when someone starts in a big organization, maybe two weeks later, they get all the apps they need. So how do you uh, improve that? How do you automate it from an approval perspective? Or how do you automate um, giving access? Because uh, certain companies, unfortunately, for example, Vlad needs admin access to something. It'll go just nudge the person next to them, give me access to this. But next thing you know, mm -hmm. they forgot that Vlad had admin access to this. And ah. uh, Vlad decided to go to a competitor or... Uh, mm -hmm. something happened and there, there's that malicious intent of insider threat. So there's really, depending on the angle and the needs of uh, companies, we could help them at early stages or even more uh, mature stages. Ralph, you mentioned uh, an interesting keyword, which is uh, maturity, right? Is there, mm -hmm. um, and again, like my, my idea based on what I gather from, uh, you know, a couple of conversations is there, are there like different stages at which, let's say you're consulting with a company that you would pretty much tell, like if they, if they approach you and they're looking for an AI threat monitoring solution, and then you ask them, well, like, do you have like a firewall in place? And they say, no, not really. Then it, it doesn't make sense, you know, to be at that stage. Like, is there a, like uh, certain stages of cybersecurity that you would work with? And could you like elaborate on that? A little bit more. I'm. I'm just curious. You know, if you're again, it's a very good point. Yeah, hmm? it's yeah, a go very ahead. good point um, because, um, and that's where um, the operating model of Algis is quite unique. Is um, uh, we have our software, and for our software to be beneficial for you, you need these different data points. So, if you're uh, the, exactly the example you gave, if you just have firewall as an input, 
it's what AI are you gonna do? Your your the data analytics mm -hmm. is one data source. So in cases like this, we help them going back to the foundation and helping them improve their overall security posture and maturity to get to a point mm -hmm. where if I plug into uh, if I plug Blacklight our software into your environment, you're actually gonna benefit from it, and I'm gonna be able to do that advanced analytics to find patterns and uh, potential malicious uh, threats. So it, it really depends on organization and to, to maybe uh, more of, of the, what the world of cyber looks like from a maturity perspective, there are, um, we tend to follow industry standards. So there's different, there are different frameworks in, in the industry. Uh, the mm -hmm. NIST framework, for example, is one of the uh, common ones. And within the NIST framework, uh, there are also different levels. Uh, usually it goes from one to five, level one to five. Mm -hmm. One thing to, to uh, the point they've said, they know cyber as a word, but there's nothing in place. Um, mm -hmm. Three, it's, it's more of, okay, uh, I have certain processes documented and certain controls in place, uh, but I'm not at the stage of there's automation, there's recurring uh, KPI tracking, metric tracking, and uh, it's not a continuous type of improvement. That's obviously level five, but the, the goal is not to get to level five. You really have to understand your, your maturity, your business model, and your, op, your uh, footprint as well. Certain areas within the world of cyber, um, you need to be at a five, for example, but it doesn't mean everything mm -hmm. has to be at a five. So we help them understand that, and it's all about also the risk appetite. What are the risk appetites for uh, uh, the company, uh, what are they willing to take in terms of, you know what, this, if it ever happens to me, I'm willing to take the risk from a financial uh, hit. Yeah. So really help them understand where they are. And according to that, build, build up. But to, to your point exactly, you need a certain minimum to be able to use certain uh, softwares mm -hmm. as well. And using a, a AI-based predictive uh, uh, threat detection, you need data sources. Okay. Let, let me ask Ralph. Uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in there. I know Vlad has got a thousand questions. But so I, I think everyone on this conversation, I would imagine most people agree that you need a number of data sources. But I feel compelled to ask, like, like what either what, what is the number, the quantity, what is the type, what is the minimum or and or ideal numbers and types of data sources that you guys are looking for before you can pull it in to run your AI? on top of it to do that predict? Uh, I, I would say there is um, a, a good dozen type of uh, data sources. So between firewall okay. um, uh, logs, between your identity and access management solution, between uh, yep. your end, endpoints uh, solution, yep. between uh, email uh, solution, um, when it comes to potentially your um, uh, DLP, so data loss prevention, that's something that some mm -hmm. organizations have. But we also look at, for example, your, your CMDB. A CMDB is basically an inventory of all the assets you have. So that's an input mm -hmm. that um, your AD is an input. So there, there's a mm -hmm. minimum handful that we use to, to be able to do correlation. And the power of Blacklight is I'm not going to look at just one data source. The point is one data source, um, for example, in an endpoint solution will give me information specifically to that. And I need to take this and start correlating it with another type of information. 
So it's it's building that story behind okay. it. So to your point, there there should be at least uh, anywhere from from uh, maybe eight to twelve uh, different security solutions okay. in place. And the more mature ones, I we don't only look at uh, security solutions. We look also, for example, mm. to HR systems. How can I get uh, info from their HR system? And I'll give you the example mm -hmm. where I'm, I'm picking on Vlad, but Vlad uh, puts his resignation and he has a one month notice, for example. Mm -hmm. That is good input because usually what people too, uh, do is they start uh, gathering all the documents they've been working on, or if they're going to mm -hmm. better, start gathering this. So we start looking at it. Okay, there's a flag where um, this employee put their resignation and let's mm -hmm. start looking if this person is going to start all of a sudden downloading large quantity of data or uploading mm -hmm. or sending to from the corporate email to a Gmail account. So that these are inputs that we, we look at. And again, one all this is feasible with the power of AI. It's very interesting, interesting. I guess, to hear about all these different, uh, like, again, I would say like threats. But uh, I, I really like the even the earlier points that you made on data, right? Like from the manufacturing standpoint or being, let's say, a, a plant floor engineer, you don't always realize that, sure, like the sensor data may not necessarily be valuable like on its own, right? But then there's like even if you look at, let's say, temperature data of like a cooking process that is FDA regulated. Well, in theory, like, yes, yeah, sure, like the temperature data is not that relevant to anyone who steals the numbers but it could be used as like you know as blackmail as an example because you know something was out of compliance right so there's a lot of like these really like small details that are non-obvious i would say from maybe like a pure technical standpoint but from the business side there's a lot of different openings doors and what have you so really appreciate that uh, perspective ralph absolutely and and ralph yeah, I was going to say, Ralph, can people find more of this on the Owlgaze website? Uh, at, at a high level, uh, because as much as it is, uh, whatever info I put, it's always case by case. But one thing to, yeah. I could say to, to the audience, uh, please feel free to, to reach out to me personally. And it's, okay. it's really because I don't want to share generic type uh, of info. Mm -hmm. um, industries are different, but fundamentally, all the cyber aspects are, are similar. And definitely on our mm -hmm. website, you, you do have uh, information that gives you good indication. And uh, maybe uh, some of our uh, the, your audience currently, they know specifically where their weakness is and they want to start digging into that. More than happy to, mm -hmm. to uh, share more insights and uh, how we could support them. Absolutely. No, thank, thank you for that. And now now I get to add, ask Vlad to play that noise because we've got some folks to thank. There we go. Perfect. So uh, we want to thank uh, Phoenix Contact for sponsoring the cybersecurity theme. And this show, this, this theme is actually presented by the now Controls Engineering award-winning MGARD family from Phoenix Contact. It's designed to provide cybersecurity protection and network resilience in all rugged and industrial environments, combining features of a stateful packed inspection firewall, NAT router, and endpoint security appliance. The M-Guards were engineered to be both IT and OT friendly, which is, uh, we all know, exceptionally hard. Uh, with features such as firewall assistant and easy protect mode, the M-Guards are simple to configure securely while still providing unassailable protection for your critical assets. 
uh, we were talking to Miriam last week and we were talking about how this is very much like your level three uh, compliance uh, guard and then kind of down from there as well. Uh, so you guys should absolutely go and check out some MGARs. At some point, we've got to get some MGARs on the wall behind Vlad. Uh, but, but that is still a, a work in progress. I also, if you guys didn't catch the beginning of the show, want to announce our giveaway. You may have heard Ralph talk about assessments. You may have heard him talk about the NIST framework. Um, if you want to learn all of that and more, you guys can go check out the Industrial Cybersecurity book that Pascal Ackerman has put up. Uh, Vlad go up and hold up the book. Uh, I like to joke that I'm not sure if it's a book or a weapon, and I think that's the exact same thing I told to Pascal the first time I saw it. Uh, but if you go through, there are tons of labs, and you can spend a ton of time getting hands-on from one of the world's leaders in ICS cybersecurity. I don't know where he finds time uh, to go ahead and uh, and put all of this together. Uh, but no, uh, so so thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Ralph. I, I think that this is, this is very exciting. Um, yeah, I think you have a very broad kind of background. And to, let's go back to kind of one of the earlier points when Vlad was asking about how you got into cybersecurity. And you made some very good comments of how you were doing your EE, and then you kind of made the change and you got into coding, and you didn't necessarily have a lot of certifications, but you did some work on MIS. Uh, and you, you saw a lot of those people move into uh, into cybersecurity. Do you have like a good piece of career advice uh, for maybe some, regardless of geography, because we we're now in three countries and multiple continents across the world, but regardless of geography, do you have uh, maybe some pieces of career advice for people looking to get into cybersecurity? Uh, definitely. And, and my, my advice is based on my experience and depending mm -hmm. on um, your, your background, your personality and all that, that definitely factors in. But uh, whether it's cybersecurity or, or any industry, um, don't, don't be afraid to jump into something that you've never studied or you've never been exposed mm -hmm. to. Um, nowadays, we live in, a, in, a, in an era of you could find crash courses left and right and one, one thing that I would definitely recommend is um, talking to people within the industry and mm -hmm. learning from their career path or their mistakes, uh, because mm -hmm. that fast tracks your, your ability to, uh, to understand. And um, another piece of advice is don't necessarily stick to one person's opinion or one person's perspective. Uh, try to gather the different backgrounds and how, how these people ended up in, in the world of cyber. And um, yep. another aspect is, for example, my, um, my juniors, um, when I uh, get campus recruits, uh, fresh grads, um, I don't necessarily look mm -hmm. for engineering backgrounds. It's, I, I look for people that are uh, open-minded, that are one, driven as well, because in, mm -hmm. in the world of cyber, you need to keep uh, learning new, new things. And it's a question of how can you use um, your analytic thinking to think outside the box. So um, the, the juniors I have part of the team are not necessarily people that have studied or had, are, um, have certificates in cyber. They are people that think uh, in an analytical way to be able to get that full idea landscape and all that. Because all the rest of technical, there are plenty of certifications, there are plenty of crash courses to be done. And it's a question yep. of, once you get into it, then you start maybe focusing on one or the other. 
Interesting. I think, I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. Ralph, I wanted to, before Dave gives us a few other formal questions that we always ask, I wanted to ask you, you know, we talked a little bit about this off stream. And I think, you know, talking about the medical space a little bit more, because I think we don't often realize, again, you know, being in a manufacturing space, if data gets, let's say if there's ransomware, or even, I don't know, the PLC programs become corrupt, we can always restart the machinery, right? So there's a loss of, there's a monetary value that is lost. But ultimately, um, you know, in the medical space, it's interesting because you brought in like some numbers too and mentioned how a lot of machinery coming into hospitals is now becoming part of, again, like their networks. I think we don't always realize it, all, but all the critical pieces of machinery are going to be on the like internal, you know, like web space, either it is like for monitoring, for data, for, you know, like having a central hub. Uh, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts like around that space and just in general, I guess, ideas and, and security there? Uh, this this opens up to different aspects, and I'll start with with one fact that um, I addressed. Fifty three percent of connected medical devices and other IoT devices in hospitals have a known critical vulnerability. What does that mean? These are the the machines, the, whether it's uh, the, the heart monitoring or anything that uh, are used to save lives. Um, and fundamentally, you just plug and play into the network. Um, a lot of people have, unfortunately, uh, malicious intents, and they try to mm -hmm. take advantage of these loopholes. Um, and there was an incident that happened a couple of, almost a year ago in the US, where one of the hospital, um, their, uh, their ER uh, network shut down, and they had to actually transfer the patients to another uh, hospital nearby. And fundamentally, it was all a question of a network and um, someone managed to find a loophole to disrupt the operations. And getting into the network of the hospital, that's where um, it, it touches the medical devices. Because certain medical devices, uh, they might be compliant from all the regulatory and, and health perspective, but um, how does the medical device um, have in terms of uh, software bugs or vulnerabilities mm -hmm. on that aspect, that's where the, the biggest gap is and the challenge on the market is how do you continuously test this and how do you make sure these are, are fit for purpose and are secure? Because certain uh, of these medical devices might be just telling you if this person's heart is good or not, for argument's sake. Other ones uh, might be collecting data. And data, mm -hmm. health data is very important. So that's where the regulation of HIPAA comes in place of mm -hmm. um, and PHI, uh, personal health information. So how do you uh, manage that? How do you protect the data of, of your patients? Because the uh, last thing you want is uh, to know that this person has that disease and this disease and all that. So this is really personal information that can be used for research perspective but also could be used to uh, blackmail people. So there's that always that malicious mm -hmm. we look at. So uh, the, the world of the medical field is definitely something that um, is, is a big concern uh, from a data perspective and from a disruption because the disruption in that aspect, it's potentially the, the uh, life or death of, of a patient. So the, mm -hmm. the world of medical field and the hospitals is, big concern from a cybersecurity perspective. 
Yeah, and it's very interesting, you know, as I, as I keep re-emphasizing like the importance of data, I think it's just going to keep growing and it's important to make the distinction between the different areas, right? Like we, me and Dave spoke to an R&D director mm -hmm. from FedEx and again, they have very critical like personal data, but also again, data that they generate as part of the operation. So it's, it's very mm -hmm. interesting, I guess, to kind of think about these different aspects as that like data pool continues to expand, they continue to add new devices and like what ultimately it's going to take to secure all of mm -hmm. that information. So definitely really appreciate the perspective on that. Absolutely. And I will make the comment that I had made to, to Ralph earlier. I think that on the medical side, that might be one of the scariest things to have 53% of devices open because many of those devices are, are pacemakers. Many of those devices are insulin pumps. Many of those devices are life support critical for people. And so uh, to, to throw back to the NIST framework, you know, one of their questions is typically, you know, what is worst case scenario if there were to be a hack in your facility and it goes from kind of nothing to people die. And when we look at smart medical, when we look at medical devices, if they get hacked, there's almost the only answer is there's the opportunity for people to die or, or many people to die. So I would think that that is, that is a very scary thing. And I would say that as we continue down the technology standpoint, we have to become more and more careful. And this may sound strange, but I'm going to say maybe we have to be careful as to what technologies we deploy and deploy slightly older but much more stable technologies as opposed to the newest, latest, greatest because even the older stuff, we, we have critical flaws with, right? We, we have opportunities to get hacked. With the newer stuff, they, they may or may not have gotten tested uh, completely well. But looking towards that, Ralph, I, I want to ask you a question that I haven't prepared you for. Um, but what do you imagine that the future is? So you're currently building an AI, uh, an AI solution, right, to go ahead and predict. And there's, there's some amount of detect in there, I'm sure. Uh, like, do, do you imagine that that is going to be the end goal that we fulfill, you know, kind of that NIST circle, the NIST framework, and, and we are able to kind of feed all of that information eventually seamlessly back together? Or do you imagine that a lot of the next five to 10 years is going to be kind of that those endpoints, those firewalls, those active directories, kind of that blocking, blocking and tackling? Uh, to, to answer that question, it's uh, from a tech, uh, software perspective, but also, also it's a question that Cybersecurity is not a one-time type of initiative. You have to continuously yeah. do it. You have to do continuous uh, checks and, and uh, validations, vulnerability uh, testing and all that. So mm -hmm. if, if people think that they've, didn't, they've done one project and they're all safe, by tomorrow it might be outdated for, to, to exaggerate yeah. a bit. But it's a question that you need to continuously look at cybersecurity and adapt to the changing landscape. And from a tech and software perspective, so our, our software, Blacklight, is addressing one aspect of, of the world of cyber, and that's how you centralize and correlate all your different security solution data to have better uh, visibility into your network. However, there are mm -hmm. a lot of industry uh, softwares currently out there, leaders that are doing uh, great, um, uh, great, they have great products. Uh, whether it's the endpoints, whether it's the, the firewalls. So it's a question of um, it, if you, you need to continuously adapt. And this goes to, to your point where why we decided to build the software, because with uh, my technical background and the team's technical background of 
using these mm -hmm. uh, legacy type of softwares in the world of SIEM, SIM, uh, we know mm -hmm. there, there are limitations and it hasn't evolved in the last decade as it should be using latest tech and, and, and all that. So as much as it's not just putting the buzzword of AI, you have to really embed it part of your, your architecture. So um, our, our current software focuses on one area. All the other softwares, I know uh, big, uh, big companies are looking into automation as well. And what they're also looking is how do we integrate easily with different data security solutions? Uh, sorry, not data, yep. with different security solutions. And that's how it brings value to the client because you start building that ecosystem that one uh, software talks to another. And mm -hmm. uh, another aspect is use the latest innovation if it brings value. Because for us, we're mm -hmm. going to be looking at uh, building another software in, in the upcoming uh, year to two around uh, identity and access management. And fundamentally, identity uh, goes hand in hand with blockchain. So how do you use blockchain to actually uh, integrate it into identity and security? So it's not a question of, oh, let me plug mm -hmm. in blockchain in everything I'm doing just for the heck of it. No, it's bringing value. That's where uh, the benefit is. Uh, agreed. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, Ralph, this isn't the first blockchain conversation we've had uh, uh, around people on the show, but it may be the first time the word blockchain has been mentioned live on the show. So I, I, I think you're, you're just checking all of those boxes. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. I, I, I think... One more word up my sleeve. Perfect. No, I, I think that that's very interesting. Vlad, do you have any last questions uh, before we go ahead and, or maybe Vlad, you can ask one last question before we go ahead and wrap up with Ralph. Well, again, I think like to continue the conversation on the future, Ralph, did you want to talk a little bit more about the metaverse? Uh, a um, conversation that we slightly had off stream, but... Thoughts, maybe yep. again, maybe from a cybersecurity standpoint of of the future. And and as much as for for audience, it might sound oh, they're just plugging all the buzzers, but it is the the era we're living in. It's becoming our day to day uh, interacting with blockchain. Uh, if you're you're into uh, crypto, the e wallets and all that, you, you're actually using it on a day to day. So it's a question of get uh, further, like get awareness around how can I use blockchain from a security perspective? Are there loopholes, gaps in the world of uh, blockchain? And definitely metaverse mm -hmm. is something that is uh, on, on the rise and this will lead to a lot of uh, security challenges from the, the, in the world of metaverse, whether it's on the hardware aspect or from mm -hmm. the software aspect. So definitely this would be a topic for us to, to dig into, into it further, but uh, the, the metaverse is something that will lead from a cyber perspective to new challenges, new risks, but mm -hmm. the metaverse can also be used in the context of how do you accelerate um, the investigation mm -hmm. of cyber incidents and uh, from a cyber. So there's the pros and cons of how to use it uh, in, in on a day-to-day. -day. No, I think that's a very interesting perspective. Again, I think there's other groups already having the conversations around, you know, mm -hmm. what the metaverse is going to come in and potentially solve in mm -hmm. the manufacturing space. I think, uh, again, based on our conversation, it's still early to for sure say, like, what it's going to bring, what kind of mm -hmm. threats they're going to be, but it's ultimately will be 
um, touching us in one way or another. So it's important, again, to at least, I would say, like, be aware, start, like, reading up on it, like, and understanding, again, what is possible. And it might not be the metaverse as perhaps portrayed by Facebook, but it will still bring in other technologies and I think accelerate the mm. adoption of like VR, artificial intelligence, mm. machine learning, and a lot of the, like, I would say like other complementary services that come with that, including cybersecurity. So um, really appreciate the, the perspective on that. No, no, absolutely. We, we appreciate the, uh, the additional buzzword, Ralph. Um, maybe we'll just title the show Ralph's Buzzwords. But, uh, but no, I think I, I think that the, the metaverse could, in to, to Vlad's point, help bring in some of those AR, help bring in some of those VR solutions, help bring more technology to the plant floor, potentially help train people in front of systems like it's going to look like, and they can put on goggles and be immersed. Uh, for for me, one of the reasons that I've been bullish on AR and VR for the last couple of years, and I think that that's poised to explode, it is for those. And if the, the metaverse and kind of the consumer tech pushing industrial tech or enterprise tech helps us get there, I think that we, we, as, a, uh, we as an industry or we as a series of industries will absolutely be much more uh, the better for it. So, so thank you for that, Ralph. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into the slow rapid fire questions. Uh, that we normally ask. Uh, Ralph has already gotten us with the, uh, the career advice a, a couple of times. Uh, so thank you for that, Ralph. Um, next up is a book recommendation. And so I like to title this the hashtag not sponsored audible uh, ad, where I ask you for a book recommendation. And most of the time, Vlad's going to go buy it on audible, but some of the time he's got to go buy it in, in physical paper form because it's not an audio book yet. So if you have a couple of good book recommendations or content recommendations, uh, things that you read, that were powerful for you? Uh, definitely, and uh, in in the in this case, they're all audible, um, and that's something that it's practical uh, nowadays. Just uh, walking uh, and, and you hear listen to a book. Um, in in my context, I'm uh, I, I'm going to recommend three books that are not technical books, so it's not something mm -hmm. that's related to, to cyber. Um, three three different ones that um, one touches upon. If someone wants to venture out and, and go into the world of entrepreneurship and um, startups, one is going to be around culture and um, mindset of uh, the team. And the third one is going to be, um, again, around mindset, but how do you enable yourself to get to your next stage? So uh, starting with mm -hmm. the last one in terms of day-to-day, uh, -day, it's called Atomic Habits from uh, James Clear. And it's, it's a book that basically helps you to focus on uh, your priorities and get habits that will enable you to get to your next goal. So it's, it's really yeah. about your mindset and your day-to-day -day habits and atomic habits, meaning there's a lot of small things that we do on a daily basis. If you just change these, uh, next thing you know, a couple of weeks later, is like, I see a change. So that's something that definitely it's a good reminder for, for a lot. The second book is No Rules, Rules. It's, the, uh, it's from Reed Hastings. It's the culture of Netflix. Uh, very interesting of yeah. how they became successful uh, going from DVDs to one of the, the largest streaming uh, um, industries. So it's, it's, a, it's a culture of keeping top talent and high performers. Mm -hmm. Because 
Uh, nowadays, um, we're, we're getting uh, faced with the challenge of we need hands, we need hands, we need hands. But um, it's very interesting fact where at a certain point in their growth, there were 120 uh, employees slash engineers. They reduced, they reduced it to 80 engineers and their productivity increased and their revenue increased. And they realized mm -hmm. it's a question that there might be influence from others that, or the, the top performers are actually doing other people's work as well. So it's a question of do have a mindset of top performers giving also the accountability to not just C-suite level, but your, your management team as well to take decisions yep. and that enables growth for everyone. And finally, the, the last book is The Cold Start Problem from Andrew Chen. Um, and this is in the world of startups and the challenges you would face uh, with, with the cold start. So it uh, gives you perspective of uh, what, how do you start um, venturing out? What are the uh, things you have to keep in, in, uh, in mind uh, when you're doing um, a startup, the network and, and stuff like that? So it's a good, uh, good read slash listening to, uh, to the world of entrepreneurship. Interesting. Yeah, and as always, are, uh... we'll have those links. I was just going to mention, we'll have those links uh, once we post the full episode. We'll have those links in the footnotes. And if you're listening on like Audible, it's going to be in the description uh, for the podcast as well, mm -hmm. in case you're trying to find a link in the title. Appreciate that, Ralph. Absolutely. Yeah, Ralph, I think all of those were very good recommendations. Two out of the three have been on my, my list of things to read slash listen to for a while. And uh, that list just continues to grow and never seems to uh, to go down fast enough. So, so thank you for those. I think those get bumped back up uh, towards the top again. Uh, so I want to ask who should reach out to you. But first, we talked how you live in Hong Kong um, and you, you work in like the Asia Pacific area. Do you guys work specifically in Hong Kong and China and Asia Pacific? Are you guys kind of global? What's the general footprint for you guys? So we are we're headquartered in, in Asia. So we have an office currently in Hong Kong, an office in Singapore. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, for us, it's going to be a global place. So already from uh, mm -hmm. the next 12, 12 to 18 months, it's expanding to, um, to Australia and then uh, getting our foot into uh, the North America market. And yeah. it's, it's a question of global domination. And all that is, is possible from our consulting practice of having that global footprint of skills, but also our okay. software, something that can be used by all industries, wherever mm -hmm. you are in the world and any size of mm -hmm. industry as well. So it's, it's something okay. that we're building it. And part of our mission of Algaze is really bring cyber to companies and, and be industry leaders and be able to advance the, the industry. So from a footprint mm -hmm. perspective, very, very global. Interesting. Okay, so perfect. So, uh, with that global footprint in mind, uh, who, who should reach out to you, Ralph? Who should reach out to me? Well, first of all, whoever wants any uh, advice or uh, dig into all the topics we we spoke about, but uh, more from a cyber and and the business aspect of it, um, people that are um, in the IT teams and the security teams of uh, the different companies that are uh, looking to continuously improve their cyber or even just to understand their, their cyber needs. And um, either uh, people that are more from an executive uh, level, so 
either the, the CEOs, CFOs, CTOs that are mandated, for example, a CTO that's mandated to do a digital transformation. And for the digital transformation mm -hmm. to be successful, there's cyber that needs to be part of this, this entire journey. So uh, from a background perspective, uh, any, any leadership role that is looking into digital transformation or implementing new uh, security uh, features or even deploying any type of, of software in, in their environment, that's something I would love to have discussions with. And finally, it's also uh, organizations that want to increase their capabilities from a detection and monitoring perspective and are looking for uh, a software that can be that command center for them. That's a conversation we could have and, and how Blacklight could help them uh, in their journey. Perfect. I certainly really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Ralph. Sure. I think, uh, you know, getting the, the light from so many different industry was very interesting. Again, uh, understanding yep. the different components of that journey, but also some of the subcomponents such as data and AI was uh, really eye-opening. And uh, I really hope that our listeners benefited from the conversation as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you can always, again, we'll, we'll have Ralph's uh, LinkedIn profile posted in the discussion notes in the mm -hmm. underneath the video, or if you're listening to the podcast in the footnotes, if you want to reach out and connect with him directly. But uh, thank you, Ralph. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everyone who's been listening. Any last thoughts, Dave? I'm going to say if you guys have made it through, thank you guys so much. Uh, please remember to do that like and subscribe. You guys can rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's what we're calling it now. You guys can rate us on Spotify. You guys can rate us on Audible. Those likes and those shares help so much. We have been growing hugely month over month over month, and it's all because of you guys. So thank you for continuing to listen. And like lots of podcasts say, please send it to a friend. Uh, I don't know how many people who have friends who are under like really super nerdy things like this, but like maybe send it to the people who live on either cubicle or back when we were in office lived in either cubicle of you. If you think it would be of interest, uh, you guys can catch all of our information, manufacturinghub.live. Again, we are giving away uh, Pascal Ackerman's new book, Industrial Cybersecurity in February of 2022. So please go ahead and check that out and continue to check back. Our goal is to give away something. I think we're going to try every month uh, of this year as, uh, as we continue to grow. Uh, but until next Wednesday, we'll see you guys all soon. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you, everyone.